Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Hey, this is the continuation of our summer series. Each week we're looking at a different song uh, from a different decade. And today, as you heard, Stevie Wonder's Superstition. I'm really excited to get into the word with you because this one's actually a really easy one to preach. I bet sometimes you guys are like, how are they going to do this one? Like, what are they going to do now? This one is a breeze because, believe it or not, the first line is directly based on scripture. I did not have to make a big leap here. It is, Stevie Wonder even says this song is about a story in scripture. So, I mean, this is, I bet you didn't know that already. People are like, see, I could worship to it. I could get like this. I mean, there's some other lyrics that are not based on scripture, but this, the first one definitely is. It's where he says, very superstitious, writing on the wall. Writing on the wall. So that's going to be the title of my teaching today, Writing on the Wall. And I'm going to read out of Daniel chapter 5. We're going to be in the whole chapter today. Daniel chapter 5. I'm going to kind of just go from top to bottom. And if it's okay with you, I'm going to preach it like I see it. Okay? We're just going to go through this passage. We're going to take little pit stops off the highway. And I'm just going to tell you what I see there. And I believe it's going to encourage you. It's going to build you up because there's too much in this story to just pick one part. So we're going to tackle the whole thing. Daniel chapter 5. I'm going to be reading out of the message. Uh, and and then you'll, you'll follow along with me and we'll see what's going on together. To give you a little framework, it's a party. It is a crazy party hosted by a king named Belshazzar. And he's having this wild party. And then something supernatural happens in this party, a hand appears and begins writing on the wall, and things go crazy after that. So that's just a little snapshot at what we're about to look at for today's teaching, writing on the wall. Let's pray. God, thank you for bringing us here today. Thank you for what you're doing in this church. Thank you for being our way maker, for loving us as you find us. These lyrics that we're singing out today, God, are not just coincidental. I believe there's purpose to everything that's going on today. So move in this place, move in our hearts. We lift up Soul Fire Youth Camp to you today, God. All these teenagers who are leaving this week, I pray for an encounter with heaven. This is the year of hearing heaven. May our students' ears be opened wide to what you're going to do this week. Let a momentum uh, begin in our students that's going to lead to revival all through this fall and next year and the years to come. Something supernatural in our church cutting loose this week. Starting now, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so we've got this wild party going on with King Belshazzar. I actually have been so excited to preach this because this is one of those stories that, like, you grow up in kids' church and you heard it one time, right? You heard this story one time and it stuck with you forever. And I would venture to say there's probably a lot of people in the room who maybe have never heard this story of Scripture because it's a little obscure. It's a little off the beaten path. And it's just one instance where this crazy thing happens and we don't really see anything else like it again in Scripture. But I kind of love stories like that because I think that it can bring a fresh perspective Perspective to people in the room. And for those of you that maybe heard it in kids' church once, it's going to bring back some fond memories. But we've got this king, Belshazzar. Weird name already. He, he just sounds crazy, and he is crazy. He is this king who is throwing this wild, sinful, debaucherous party. And in the middle of all this, this is where the story picks up in Daniel chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Let's read from the message. King Belshazzar held a great feast for his 1,000 nobles. The wine flowed freely. Belshazzar, heady with the wine, that's a biblical way to say lit, <laughs> heady with the wine, ordered that the gold and silver chalices that his father, Nebuchadnezzar, 
had stolen from God's temple of Jerusalem be brought in so that he and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, could drink from them. Before I continue, I just want to give you a a little bit more framework. This is the kingdom of Babylon, this evil kingdom that ransacked Jerusalem, destroyed the nation of Israel, carried them away, and so the people of God are enslaved by this nation. They are mingled into the culture of Babylon. They are, uh, you know, some of them are still holding true to what God has said. Some have, you know, given up that and taken on false religion. It's a really sad time for the nation of Israel. They destroyed the temple, robbed it of its gold and silver, and this is one of those instances where Belshazzar says, hey, let's go get those those cups that were used in the temple to worship God. Let's drink out of them for my party because that's going to show how powerful I am. That I'm partying with the cup of the God whose temple we destroyed. So really prideful, really debaucherous. And and archaeologists have found banquet halls that date to this time. And these party halls could hold 10,000 people. Okay, that's the kind of party we're talking about. I don't know how they, what the buffet line looks like. But... It probably was good. That this kind of party. For those of you who are new to City of Life, all I really talk about is food. Thanks for being here today. <laughs> so the gold and silver chalices were brought in. The king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank wine from them. They drank the wine and drunkenly praised their gods made of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. This is the event that sparks the rest of the story. This prideful, sinful act is what begins to uh, set off the the events that we'll talk about in a moment. But I don't want to move past this without kind of preaching it like I see it here. That Belshazzar made a decision to use a vessel made for worship for a sinful purpose. And God will not tolerate when we take something he's made for his purposes and we use it for our own prideful, sinful gain. And I'm not talking about cups anymore. I'm talking about me and about you. We are the vessels of the Most High made for his purposes. And he will not tolerate when that cup made to hold the glory of his presence is filled with something else. I'm preaching in the first two minutes of my sermon right here. It's throughout scripture. The book of James says, how can blessing and curse come out of the same mouth? How can we be in here on Sunday singing worship to God, singing he's the way maker, miracle worker, and then cussing someone out on Monday, on Sunday afternoon, if we're being honest. How can the same thing come out of, how can two different things come out of the same vessel? This body is fashioned to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. How can we both lift our hands in worship and then use our hands for dishonest gain or for sinful activity or for sexual immorality? makes no sense for a vessel consecrated to the goodness of God to be used in our own sinful, debaucherous, prideful parties. This is what Belshazzar does wrong. He says, let me take what is sacred and use it for what is unholy. Let me take what God claimed for himself and use it for myself. Oh, I'm preaching. Because God has claimed things about you for himself. Your talent, your gift, your resource, your charisma. I'm going to preach that right there. Your charisma. Your ability to sway a room. Your ability to connect with people. Your ability to talk to any stranger. You've used that for your gain, but God meant it for his gain. It's not meant to get you into the room. It's not meant to get you a phone number or a booty call. It's meant for you to bring people to Jesus, God will not tolerate you using what he's claimed for himself. Oh, I'm preaching. If God placed it in you, he's consecrated it for himself. So what's in you? What has he called for himself? 
My God, I can think of so many different people in the room. So many talents we just talked about up here. These talented people using their gifts for God. I think of one of our elders, Mickey Arroyo is here. She's probably one of the most talented performers I've ever encountered and ever worked with. And you've watched her on this stage at Blink, at Easter, at Christmas, at Weird Fairy Tale series that we had to do. Like she's, she's used all these gifts for a purpose. She sits with our students in City of Life Christian Academy and teaches them how to use their craft for the glory of God. I think of our dancers. I think of our musicians, I think of people who can build things, all these gifts and qualities that you could either use for yourself or use for the glory of God. What about your resource, your car, hello, your paycheck, your house? Do you have certain property that you consider to be yours? Has the American dream really kept you sleeping so long that you think it's your property, that you think this, this house belongs to me? My Sunday belongs to God, but my house is mine, my TV's mine, my computer's mine, my iPhone's mine, my car is mine. Or can you wake up today and realize that everything in your life is a vessel consecrated for the purposes of God? We can approach it one of two ways. Like, let's take like the internet. Oh, that thing's so evil. Well, that's a really narrow-minded way to approach it because if I look at it as a vessel for God's glory, why not hop on the internet and proclaim the, the disciples wish they had the internet. They wish they could pull a device out and talk to 10,000 people at the same time. Anything can be a vessel for God. And so Belshazzar does not honor the fact that God has vessels that he's using. He says, let's bring these cups in. Let's drink from them. Let's party. I want to show that I can use things for myself. So you and I are not too far off. You and I are not so distant to Belshazzar. We've all been there. I've used my resource for my own gain. I've used my talent for my own gain. I've used my relationships. I've used what God has entrusted to me for my own gain. And God does not tolerate sinfulness with the same vessel that's consecrated for worship. It's his cup. It's his cup. I feel like I'm just always going back to either food or my child. If anyone's got a toddler, try drinking out of their cup. Oh my gosh, Kelly, please help me with that. If I even touch Malachi's cup, it's apocalyptic. Because that's his cup. He understands. That's mine. It's not yours. It's for me. And what's in it belongs to me. And much the same way, when we try to take the vessel that God has consecrated for himself, paid his blood for, sacrificed himself for, purchased and bought with a price, and we say, oh, this is mine now. It just doesn't work out. It's his cup. I'm his cup. My life is his cup. I'm his vessel. And so let's continue in verse 5. They're drinking from these cups. Verse 5, at, their, at that very moment, the fingers of a hand appeared, this giant hand above the party. This kind of story is so cool. <laughs> like, this is dope. This hand appears over this 10,000-person banquet hall and begins writing. And it, writing on the lamp-illuminated, whitewashed wall of the palace. God is so, he's so smart. He didn't pick the shadowy wall. He didn't pick the wall that already had art on it. He picked the spot that was cleaned and whitewashed. So you can't deny I'm speaking to you. I'm talking to you. Because you're all too drunk to notice me in the shadows. So I'm coming out here in the light and writing right in front of your face so that you can see what I'm saying. So this hand begins writing on the wall, which is where Stevie Wonder got this song from. When the king saw this disembodied hand writing, he went as white as a ghost, scared out of his wit. It says his legs went limp and his knees knocked. 
I love the Bible, man. Such detail. That means someone that recounted this story was close enough to the king to hear his knees knocking. Like, can you imagine? Like, oh, shoot, someone remember that. We got to write that down. He's like, clunk, clunk. Like, he, he's so, he's scared, man. And he's calling out for the enchanters and the fortune tellers and the diviners to come, all these sorcerers and, and witches. And he says to the Babylonian magi, anyone who can read this writing on the wall and tell me what it means will be famous and rich. Purple robe, the great gold chain, and be third in command in the kingdom. This hand appears on the wall, and it freaks everyone out. But what I love about this, and this is, this is a big teaching point. I'm going to preach it like I see it here. Belshazzar was terrified, but he didn't know what it said. You would think that he would be terrified after he understood what it said. But without even knowing what it said, he was terrified. Why? Because his conscience testified against him. Before you ever get your sign, you've already got your sign. Before anyone ever calls you out in a service and some prophet says, you. You know, like we always think that's going to be what happens. Before the hand ever writes on the wall, something is already aware inside of you that says, I've got to stop. I've got to turn around. I can't go this way anymore because I'm going against the will of God. And I understand mistakes. I understand that we stumble, but there's a difference between stumbling into sin and diving headfirst into sin. And you do not get to this point, you do not get to Belshazzar's point accidentally. It comes from a willful decision to go against God, and all of us have been there. And without ever being able to read the writing on the wall, Belshazzar knows exactly what it's about. That's why he's scared. That's why his knees are knocking. Because just the sight of the hand Makes him realize, oh, here it is. I knew this was coming. I knew this was coming. I lived it my way for so long, and now here comes this moment. Verse 8. says, one after another, they tried, but they could make no sense of it. All these witches and sorcerers, they can't read. <laughs> I love it. All the power and, and, and ability that the world has to offer is illiterate before the presence of God. Unable to discern the will of God. Unable to discern the things of God. The Bible says it this way in the New Testament. To the natural man, the things of the spirit are foolish and incomprehensible. The smartest person in the room can't even read what's on the wall. On the wall, illuminated by a lamp on a whitewashed wall as clear as can be, still can't understand it. And so the same way is for us. When we're not living by the spirit, we can't even appreciate the clear signs that God has given us. We need the spirit to allow us to interpret the will and purposes of God. And so one after another, they tried, but they could make no sense of it. They could neither read what was written nor interpret it. Because it's one thing to read it. It's another thing to interpret what it means. So now the king was really fr frightened. All the blood drained from his face. Again, who was that guy taking these notes? Like, yo, you saw his knees? Yo, look at his face. <laughs> like, <laughs> someone was ready to post about this. <laughs> The nobles were in a panic. The queen, now this is not Belshazzar's wife, it's his mother. His mama heard of this hysteria among the king and his nobles, and she came to the banquet hall. You know it's bad when mama comes to the party. <laughs> How embarrassing, right? Your knees knocking, your face drained of blood, and your mom walks in. <laughs> Woo, that's bad with all your friends, all your, all your witchcraft friends trying to read something on the wall. <laughs> And she says, long live the king. I bet she said that like out of the side of her mouth, like, long live the king because I'm going to kill you later. 
Don't be upset. Don't sit around looking like ghosts. There's a man in your kingdom who is full of the divine Holy Spirit. During your father's time, he was well known for his intellectual brilliance and spiritual wisdom. He was so good that your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, made him the head of all the magicians and enchanters and fortune tellers and diviners. He used to be in charge of all these people that you're still relying on. He used to run this show. You don't remember a day when this was the case, but there was a man of God that established us as a kingdom and was better than all these people combined, and you've forgotten about him. I'm here to remind you about this man of God. There was no one quite like him. He could do anything, interpret dreams, solve mysteries, explain puzzles. His name is Daniel. But he was renamed Belteshazzar by the king. Have Daniel called in. He'll tell you what's going on here. So Daniel was called in, and the king asked him, are you the Daniel who was one of the Jewish exiles that my father brought here from Judah? I've heard about you, that you're full of the Holy Spirit, that you got a brilliant mind, that you're incredibly wise. The wise men and enchanters were brought in here to read this writing on the wall and interpret it for me, but they couldn't figure it out, not a word, not a syllable. I've heard that you interpret dreams and solve mysteries. So if you can read the writing and interpret it for me, you'll be rich and famous. A purple robe, the great gold chain around your neck, and third in command in the kingdom. Let's just pause for a second. Isn't his, isn't his trick getting old? All he has to offer is like, I'm going to just throw money at it. I have no substance or character, or I can't even have a genuine conversation and just ask for help. I'm going to have to pay everyone and everything around me. Because I don't want to be indebted to someone. So I'm going to leverage my power to make other people need me without ever having to admit I need people. Be very careful with those who lead with their gifts. People who come into your life and say, here's what I have to offer you. Here's what I can do for you. Here's what I can do for you. They are unable to admit that they need in return. I can preach this because I'm the king of this. For like the first, oh, I'm 31, Lord Jesus. For the first 25 years of my life, I led with my gifts. Here's what I can do. Here's what I can offer. But I never postured myself to say, I I need in return. I need relationship. I'm broken just like anybody else. And even though I have gifts, they're God's gifts. So I don't even have the right to offer them to you. If he says go, then I'll go. If he says stop, then I'll stop. Be careful when you lead with your gift. I know this is a lot. I'm just preaching it like I see it. But he says to Daniel, I'll give you money. I'll give you everything I've got because I hear you've got this gift. And, and without going too deep into Daniel's history, this is now the third time that his gift has brought him before the king. He didn't have to push his way there. He didn't have to network his way there. He didn't have to Instagram and hashtag his way there. He didn't have to get the right person in the right post so that people said, oh, he rolls with these people. He didn't have to wear the right clothes or do the right thing. The Spirit of God in him brought him before kings on three separate occasions. They said, go find Daniel. He's, He's somewhere. Go find him. And I want to encourage you today, if you're in a season where you feel like you're waiting and you feel like you haven't been recognized, you feel like you haven't been seen, don't try to push your way into the right place. Try to fan into flame the gift of God that's within you. Because the Bible Bible says your gift will make room for you. That's the encouraging part. But now let's look at the other side of this coin. This is also, he's been before kings like three times. This is about the third time that Daniel's been forgotten about too. He was brought before the king because he was a man of prayer the first time. The second time Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and and Daniel was a wise man. And they said, where's Daniel? Bring him in. Brought before the king again. And he he changed the nation. And now a third time Daniel is is brought out of obscurity in, in front of the king. And guess what? After this, he's forgotten about again. 
Your gift will bring you before people who need you at the time that they need you. But make sure you understand your gift doesn't earn you a permanent place in the spotlight. You are not always front and center. In the kingdom of God, we have to be good at learning how to pass the ball. Because Daniel's gift made room for him. He's an interpreter of dreams. It made room for him when there was a dream to interpret. But when there's not a dream, guess where Daniel's place is? On the bench. In obscurity. And we throw so many tantrums saying, God, keep me front and center. God, use my gift. God, use me. God, make this my time. What if it's not your time? What if your gift doesn't fit the need? Are you wanting to be used or are you wanting to be seen? Because that's the real question. So often we pray, God, use me. God, use me. What we're actually praying is, God, let people see me. Because if you want to be used, then you should want to be used at the right time. Because if there's a, a, a screw I have to take out, I'm not reaching for the hammer. I'm reaching for the screwdriver. Because in that moment, that's the tool that's necessary. That's the vessel. That's the object that I need. That's the purpose it was made for. And so for me to try to use something else at the wrong time would be going against the very reason it was designed. Your gift has purpose, and it also has, has time stamps on it, where there's moments in your life where God will tap your shoulder like a good coach and say, hey, get on the court. It's your time. It's your moment. But in the same way that we have to respect his saying go, we have to respect him saying, okay, come out now. <laughs> come off the court. It's not your time. And another hard word, it can be your time, and then it can not be your time after that. <laughs> and then it'll be your time again, and then it won't be your time. And then it'll be your time again. I'm preaching the life of Daniel. It was sometimes his time and sometimes not his time. And we have to be content in the spotlight and backstage. Because we know our place. I know where I belong. When God says go, I'm going to go. So Daniel, I can see it, man. It's so dramatic. Now he's much older, somewhere in the 60 to 80 range. I mean, his first time before the king, he was this strapping young man. He had been fasting, and he was stronger than all the other guys, like pecs, abs, arms, leg day. Like this tough guy walking before the king. He was just eating celery. Like he was just, and God had, God had blessed him. I don't get it, man. I don't get it. He was, he was like super, like, jacked and I'm over here just trying to like make it to Monday like with my one day diet choices <laughs> y'all with the diets you got to chill <laughs> I can't keep up because y'all do keto I do burrito like it's all it is I can't do it <laughs> that's one of my favorite jokes <laughs> so so the first time Daniel comes before the king he's jacked and I bet he's thinking this is my time this is what I've waited for and after that moment he's sent back into the shadows actually to the lion's den but we could talk about that another time and then he comes back before the king, just the middle of his life, maybe 30, 40, and he knows who he is, back into the shadows, thinking, oh, wow, my time is gone now. And now this 60 to 80-year-old man, I'm sure he comes up like, y'all need me again? <laughs> I know how this is going to go. I'm going to be used for God's purpose, then I'll go back to the bench. I'm okay with it. I'll just come and serve. I'll do my part. What's up, king? And the king says all of these things. Interpret this. I'll give you money. I'll give you everything you want. You'll be famous. Daniel's heard that before. You'll be famous. Yeah, I'll be famous for about two minutes. Because the fame of man means nothing. Fame in heaven is what we should aim for. That I should live my life to reach that eternal goal. And so, this is what happens, verse 18. We're moving, we're grooving. Listen, O king, 
The high God gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, a great kingdom and a glorious reputation. Because God made him so famous, people from everywhere, whatever the race, color, and creed, were totally intimidated by him. He killed or spared people on whim. He promoted or humiliated people capriciously. He developed a big head and a hard spirit. So God knocked him off his high horse and stripped him of his fame. He was thrown out of human company, lost his mind, lived like a wild animal. He ate grass like an ox and was soaked by heaven's dew until he learned his lesson. That the high God rules human kingdoms and put, puts anyone he wants in charge. You are his son and have known all of this. Yet you're as arrogant as he ever was. Look at you setting yourself up in competition against the master of heaven. You had the sacred chalices from his temple, the vessels for his glory, brought into your drunken party so that you and your nobles and wives and concubines could drink from them. You used the chalices to toast your gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone. Blind, deaf, imbecile gods. But you treat with contempt the living God who holds your entire life from birth to death in his hand. God sent that hand that wrote on the wall, and this is what, it, what is written. Mini, mini, tekel, peres. This is what the words mean. Mini, God has numbered the days of your rule, and they don't add up. Tekel, you've been weighed on the scales, and you don't weigh much. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and handed over to the Medes and the Persians. Daniel both reads and interprets this writing on the wall. Scholars believe it was ancient Hebrew, which is why all of these Babylonian magicians couldn't read it, because they couldn't even discern the language. But Daniel, living in a new culture, spoke an old language that allowed him to discern the voice of God. And I love where we all, come on, let's thank God for that right now. Oh, I'm going to preach this. I love where we are as a church. I'm grateful that we're progressive. I'm, gra I'm grateful that, that we've got skinny jeans and purple hair. I love it. But if you are here and you, are, you have gone further along in the journey of, of life, please do not feel like you don't have a place in our church. If you're 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, we need your wisdom and experience. The church needs mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers. My generation needs people who speak an old language. Because today all we say, it's lit and it's a bop and it's a vibe and I don't even know how to speak that language. We need people who know words like sanctification and holiness and purity and righteousness. We're not going to talk like you talk. We're not going to dress like you dress. But teach us what those words mean. Show us what those words mean. We need a church that speaks in the awareness of our times, but with an understanding of an old, true, never-changing message that God is good and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And though we can dress a certain way and though we know the music and the social media, when the hand is writing on the wall, we need believers who still know how to read the voice of God in today's age. And that's what Daniel was able to do. So man, again, Soul Fires this week, we're taking all these young people. I'm hoping some mamas and daddies and grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles are praying for us. Pray for the fire of heaven to rain upon us. We need you. We need you. Don't ever think, oh, the church is just a young place. No, I'm glad the church has young people in it because that's, that's the sign of a healthy place where young people are going to take their place tomorrow. But we need you to be the guide, the director, the mentor, the support. I believe the church and those who have gone longer on their race in the church is the answer for the father, fatherlessness that our culture is plagued with. Spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers. 
We need hands on our shoulders saying, you got this. You can do this. I made that mistake. Don't do it <laughs> because I've done it. We need your support. We need your time, your encouragement, your money. <laughs> can I tell the truth? Because I'm looking at a youth group right now who's full of dreams and has no idea how to make those dreams turn into reality. And if you think that resource is just meant to be yours, you're missing the reason God has blessed you. He's blessed you to bless someone else to be an enabler. When we're stepping into blink, these dreams that our church has of reaching culture with creativity, you think that those dreams, just, those dreams are funded by something that just rolls off a tree? No, it's funded by people who have gone further along in the race that realize my life is a cup meant to be spilled for the purpose of God's glory. I felt everyone like restrict when I said money, but we gotta talk about real, st real stuff, man. This is why we need Daniels in the kingdom. People that'll say, yeah, I'll use my gift. You dumb, crazy king, I'm using my gift for you. He could say, figure it out for yourself, guys, but he didn't. He said, my gift is for y'all crazy people. I'm here to speak the truth. And so he goes through and reads these things, meanie, meanie, tekel, peres. You've been numbered. God says, I'm counting you, Belshazzar. I'm counting and you don't add up. When we stand before the judgment, God is looking for an account of our life. And for everything he has planted in, he's looking for a return. And he begins to count. And if we come up short, it shows that we tried to cut corners. It shows that we tried to discount the process. It shows that we tried to find a Groupon on growth. And it just doesn't work that way. God will count our lives. Tekel, you've been weighed. I love this. It was, you know, like, you can picture, like, balance scales. What would happen in that day is they would take a piece of gold that they knew was real authentic gold, and then they would put another gold in question on the scale. And real gold should balance with real gold. But if it's cheap gold, if it's been mixed with something else, if it's not pure gold, it will be too light. God places us in a, in a place of, of weighing and wants to see the substance of our life. There's a standard and it's pure. And when he weighs us against it, sometimes we come up too light. And then Perez, your kingdom is being divided. If you didn't build this for me, then it's gonna be divided. That night, Belshazzar died. <laughs> like within hours after this writing on the wall. Because in the middle of his party, the Medes and the Persians were digging under his city and came up through the ground and killed and destroyed all of them. The writing was on the wall. But before the writing was ever on the wall, Belshazzar knew. He, he had Daniel in his kingdom. The voice of the Lord was there, and he chose to go against it. And I only have a couple more moments, but I feel like this is too important for us to skip. There's only one other place in Scripture that we see the finger of God writing. Anyone tell me what it is? Yeah. The Ten Commandments. Y'all are good. Bible history. There we go. There's only one other time in Scripture that we see this hand writing, and it's the Ten Commandments. God himself wrote the law by which we should live. And here with Belshazzar, he's writing out the sentence for breaking that law. It's not someone else imposing it. It's God himself. And me and you in this story, we're not really Daniel. We're not really the people on the side. We're Belshazzar. We deserve that sentence because the same hand that wrote the law has the authority to tell us, no, you didn't get it, and here's what you deserve. We deserve punishment. We deserve 
the, 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 the result of our sinful actions. We broke the law. Those 10 commandments, y'all, can anyone keep up with those? Sometimes I think I'm getting one right while simultaneously messing up the other nine. We deserve the sentence that's coming upon us. We break those things so quick. Even when God gave Moses those tablets, he came down the mountain like, all right, Israel, I've got the law. We can do this. The moment he looks, he sees the people of Israel sinning, debauchery, the same kind of scene, this wild party. They're worshiping this gold calf. And Moses gets so upset, he throws down the handwritten law of God, the expression of God's character, and it shatters. And I think it's a picture of me and of you. We are entrusted with the nature of God and the goodness of God, and we break it every time. We shatter it every time. But there is grace, thank God. Moses goes back up the mountain, but grace is good and all until you got to live it. Grace is like, oh, thank you, Jesus, for grace. But this time is different from last time. Moses goes up the mountain. You know what God tells him this time? You chisel out the rocks. You write on them what I wrote on them. This time, you have to write out exactly what I did last time, and you have to do it just like before. And so Moses is up there. Last time, he got a, a front seat to glory, just chilling, watching God do all the work. This time, he's up there like <laughs> sweating and bleeding and crying, chiseling out the rock and making it just like it was before. Why? Because in making Moses chisel out the rocks, God is chiseling his character. It's, it's making him produce from inside the law and nature of God. See, last time, he got it from external, but this time, God wants to see it coming out of him on the inside. It's the same reason when my son breaks a rule. I, I'm at the point now in my, in my journey with him that I'm no longer telling him the rule. I'm asking him the rule. I'm saying, tell me what you did wrong. What should you do next time? What's the rule? Because I no longer want to just impress upon him. I want to draw it out of him because I'm trying to shape what's already in there. What I'm trying to say is God is no longer writing on the wall. He's no longer writing on the tablets. He wants to write on your heart. He wants to write his word upon your heart so that you don't need an external sign. You don't need an external guide. The very nature of God lives and dwells within you. It's no longer I, but it's Christ in me. And if you have ever gotten a second chance, my friend, you know that it comes with a little bit of work. Like Moses, gotta chisel out that rock. God gave you this marriage and you messed it up. And you're like, why is it so much work now to rebuild it? Because you got to chisel out just like the first time what was given to you freely. God blessed you with a resource and you messed up your finances and you're deep in debt and things are going wrong. And you're like, why is this so much work? Because God is chiseling you while you're chiseling the rock. Because if he just gave it back to you like the first time, you'd make the same mistake again. He gave you your physical health and you just added pounds and pounds and pounds. And now you're in your living room doing crunches. Like, why is this so hard? Because while you're chiseling the rock, God is chiseling your character because after you have put your blood and sweat and tears into those tablets, when you walk down the mountain like Moses, no matter what you see, I'm not breaking it this time. I'm not throwing it this time because I'm too invested in this marriage. I'm too invested in my resource. I'm too invested in my health. 
I can't throw it away because God wrote it the first time, but he let me write it the second time, and this time is gonna be different. I don't need the hand writing on the wall. I've got the word written in my heart. I will not sin against God because my life belongs to him. This cup is his cup. Come on, church, if you believe it today, someone give God a shout of This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.